Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO Moment Wrap-Up for Friday, May 6th, 2022. Following up from the Conti strain that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I think last week as well, too, the FBI had put out an alert that this was an issue from uh, Russian cyber criminals. Here's an example of or another example, rather, of an organization that was hit with it. And this comes to us from the Providence Journal. Malware was an identified that was used in the Ripka breach that affected 22,000 Rhode Islanders. The malware was Conti. And this is one of what the article talks about of the 87 incidents that were reported to the FBI, at least at the time of this writing. What uh, Ripta did was they opted to pay the ransom because their email and their phones were down and the personal information of 22,000 Rhode Islanders were compromised. And they sent $170,000 to get its digital systems back and prevent the further spread of personal information. One note about I didn't read the whole quote, but they said specifically, and I quote, it sent hackers 170,000. And I know a lot of you who listen would prefer that they not use the term hackers. The correct term there, of course, is criminal or criminals. Today's second article comes from The Journal. Actually, I believe it's T-H-E Journal, which stands for, I think, Technology Higher Education. And this is a newly reported breach that um, involves Illuminate Data Protection Practices or Illuminate Education Systems. This article notes that uh, 565 schools in the state, which included in those schools are over a million current or former students, were among those whose private student data was compromised during a January cyber attack on Illuminate's education systems. Officials have opened an investigation. The article goes on to discuss that a district in Colorado also had a similar issue because of the Illuminate data breach. Now, I hadn't heard about this particular one, so did a little bit of investigating and found an article from InfoSec, Info, InfoSecurity Magazine, excuse me, And there's a statement there from Illuminate Education, or rather the statement appears to be from, it might be actually from the school district in Colorado, perhaps they're they're echoing information from Illuminate, but it gives a little bit more information into what the breach was. On January 8th, 2022, Illuminate Education became aware of suspicious activity in a set of isolated applications within their programs. They immediately took steps to secure the affected applications and launched an investigation with external forensic specialists to determine the nature and the scope of the activity. goes on to say that there was unauthorized access to certain databases containing potentially protected student information. So this is ongoing. This is an example of a supply chain attack, which leads us to our third note. And this is an article that comes to us from HelpNet Security, helpnetsecurity.com. And actually, there have been 
many reports about this. Uh, I would suspect that probably most of the listeners to this podcast already know this, but NIST updated the guidance for the cybersecurity supply chain risk management, their standard, which is um, 161R1, I believe, so revision one. I hope I have that number correct. The uh, link to it directly is in the show notes. And specifically, they note that um, the reason for this updated guidance and really the reason for the guidance in general is to understand and to help protect against the supply chain potential risks. And what that refers to, of course, is not only your finished product but all of the elements that go into your finished product. And so how this relates to the second article, of course, is in higher education, if you're outsourcing some functions, well, that actually becomes part of the service that you offer to your customers, in this case being your students, and is therefore then a supply chain issue. We've talked a little bit about ensuring third-party vendor management supply chain, that all of those items that go into your product or service are in fact as safe and secure as possible. So after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail in addition to a couple of other thoughts. So first uh, about ransomware and about paying the ransom. This is such a very difficult question. And obviously in the case with Rhode Island, that they made a business risk decision that it would make more sense to pay the ransom. And then, of course, if you're going to pay the ransom, then you're creating a demand for a product which perpetuates the cycle. Hence the perhaps pie-in-the-sky advice to never pay the ransom, which is easy for others to say. But when you're faced with a specific business issue, it becomes a much harder decision. And I think that that's an individual decision for each organization and each issue. The best that you can do for that, in my opinion, is prepare for it. And it seems like that I see sometimes with folks that I work with that there hasn't been a push or even a a need seen to create what I'll call a ransomware playbook, but basically triggers that will be gates for whether or not that you're going to end up paying the ransom. So you're you're following something in the heat of the moment instead of just thinking in the heat of the moment and and, and your thought processes can be negatively affected at that point in time. I think it's also important to understand at least to an extent the quantification of the risk involved with information and controls to prevent ransomware from happening. I've talked about FAIR beforehand. So perhaps in this particular case where Rhode Island Transit Authority, they paid $170,000 if they had maybe uh, had a tool in place that cost, say, $30,000 a year. Obviously, there's the cost-benefit ratio there. The point being is that the the only way that we're going to defeat ransomware is to not pay the ransom. The only way we're, that we're going to be able to not pay the ransom 
is to remove the business impact from it. The only way we're going to remove the business impact from it is by creating sufficient and solid processes and test them in place, have them in place prior, and also have sufficient controls in place. So you're not ever going to get rid of the risk of ransomware, but you can diminish it uh, significantly. And for those few times when maybe an issue might get through, you'll at least have a defined methodology of how you're going to respond. And then the second item is supply chain. And the, the interesting thing about the higher education is sometimes we think about supply chain as physical widgets is the term I think I used earlier, like components of an aircraft. And then sometimes we think of it as software components, individual modules that make up a, a package that we might buy. But there's also the services component. And I think that there's been significant movement towards maturity in a lot of organizations as part of part as part of third party vendor management at least from the aspect of recognizing it and going through and doing a SOC report review but we need to get deeper into that and so NIST 161R1 uh is is part of that I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to Jacob Horn, who noted in one of his posts on LinkedIn that the best way to read these NIST publications more often than not is, and I'm going to quote him, NIST publications tend to make more sense if you read them backwards and from the bottom up. And backwards being start with the appendix, appendices, and from the bottom up looking at the footnotes. And I have to admit, I had never thought about that before. I'm sort of one of those um, process-driven persons that want to start cleanly from the beginning and go straight through and then get everything done right at the end. It, it might not surprise you to know that I'm also one of those that feels that I have to eat everything on my plate when it's put in front of me. I think it's, those are, those are two symptoms of the same personality. Uh, the NIST, any NIST publication can be a difficult read, perhaps a cure for insomnia, uh, this particular publication is over 300 pages long, but I am going to take that advice and start with Appendix A, which the uh, article that I noted from HealthNet Security actually notes that that's, uh, Appendix A is is the specific guidance, the controls actually for that document. And there's a link to that document up in the show notes as well. And then finally, I wanted to make just one note because I had mentioned, and I can't remember if this was in a podcast or a Twitter, a tweet earlier this week or, or, or something else related that I was going to have some more to discuss about the virtual CISO space today. But I realized that that actually what I want to say is going to work better as a shorter rant episode for the uh, VCM quick strike on Monday. So this Monday coming up, That'll be the main focus of that, and I hope that you'll join. I've got some pretty strong opinions about one particular aspect of the emerging virtual CISO space, and I would be very curious about other people's opinions as well. 
So thank you for listening and stay secure.